Welcome to another episode of Mead's Meanderings with Father Andrew Mead. My name is Ron Cowie, your host. Father Mead lives in Narragansett, Rhode Island, where he attends St. Peter's by the Sea Episcopal Church. Ordained priest in 1971, he served in full-time parish ministry from 1973 until his retirement in 2014. In this episode, The Trouble with Love, we discuss why there is trouble in the world and how God functions to help us transcend this very human hurdle. As per the title, the conversation tends to meander, but that's what makes it interesting. This recording was made on location in Father Mead's garden in July of 2020. Questions are always welcome, and you can leave them in the comments. If you want to make sure that you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, leave a five-star rating and a comment. Sharing your favorite episodes is always welcome, too. If you would like to support the efforts of St. Peter's, consider making a donation. Just go to stpetersbythesea.com and click on Donate. Your donation will help them care for the community and continue programming such as this. This podcast is created in partnership with St. Peter's by the Sea, Episcopal Church, and Oyster Farm Productions. Why is there trouble in the world? How about we'll start with that. Why is there trouble in the world? Right. Why is there trouble in the world? Well, that takes me back to my rector's Christian doctrine classes, where I would relish this question uh, early on. I would shock the class with my answer, which is, I believe, the answer, the biblical answer, the, the, the church's answer, the answer in the catechism. The reason there is evil in the world is because God is love. Mm-hmm. And that shocks people. What do you mean? How could an almighty, how could love almighty mm-hmm. allow for evil? Well, I would say that God allows for evil by permitting it, and he permits it by creating free agents, angels and other creatures in wonderful order. And we could have uh, a universe that was free of trouble, but it would be an automatic universe. It would be a very well-run machine, but there would be no love in it because love needs freedom. You can't say, I love you automatically. You can't extract love automatically. It it must be freely given and freely received. So God, being love almighty, in his infinite wisdom has created, as the old collect in the prayer book says, angels and mortals in a wonderful order. And we can choose whether to love God back, whether to be grateful for who God has made us or to take some other route. And the way I read the Bible, God created all the angels, the lights of heaven, good ranks and ranks of them from Lucifer on through. Lucifer, the bearer of the light. As I understand it, Lucifer wasn't grateful just for being the Prince of Light. He envied the Lord's glory. 
And if Milton is be, to be believed in his Paradise Lost, that Christian masterpiece, he has Satan railing against God and falling, falling, falling and saying, better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. And it's one of the most striking verses in all of, of poetry, English or otherwise. And uh, in fact, Milton almost makes Satan attractive in his rebellion against God. And he takes a third of the spirits with him. Mm -hmm. Now, if the kingdom of God and heaven were a democracy, and I don't think it is, I think it's a kingdom, mm -hmm. but if it were a democracy, we still have two-thirds of the spirits as the good guys. As I read the Bible, only a third of them go down, so we c they can't filibuster. Yeah. We've got two-thirds, but it's a kingdom, and God doesn't work uh, either through um, absolute diktat or through parliamentary procedure. God works through the persuasion, if you will, the coercive per persuasion of love, mm -hmm. because we do fall in love. Mm -hmm. Love uh, has a way of compelling you by its beauty and attractiveness. And when finally people begin to discover who the Lord is, or if they discover who another person is, for, I mean, we can understand love for the Lord by understanding human love. But again, it's freely given, and we can choose not to love. And that's why we have a hell of a lot of problems on earth, because God is love, and he has chosen to make free agents. Now, I've just begun with this. Dante Alighieri, who I think is the greatest Christian poet, even greater than Milton, of all and has written the greatest epic outside of scripture says that every person he meets in the inferno mm -hmm. the purgatorio and the paradiso is where that person wants to be because god being the courteous god of love that he is uh, lets us have it our way he, do, he won't force us to love him back we can go to a place of our own if we choose. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, the root cause of the, of the problems that we have, not just among men and women and children, mm -hmm. but out there in the cosmos mm -hmm. with the angelic spirits. I mean, Einstein found that there was a kind of principle of, well, there's a wobble in the universe. Even Newton knew that. He couldn't quite explain it, but he knew there was a wobble. Mm -hmm. I think the wobble has something to do with the free spirits in the cosmos. But I'm not a scientist. I'm a, I'm a theologian and a yeah. priest. Um, and the Bible is not a science book, but I, all, but I believe that science uh, has a wonderful way of probing the mysteries of the universe, and it brings you right up against the great mystery of that there is anything at all. Mm -hmm. So some of the best parishioners I've ever had are scientists. Our bishop is a scientist. Yeah. Um, he likes nothing more than to discuss science and faith. Mm -hmm. So, which is one of the several reasons why I have such high respect and affection for him. When people, how can, People, you know, you, you hear about it. How can there be a God when there's so much awful stuff? And they think, well, you know, hey, free agency. Free agency and God is love. And we, we could have a, a brilliantly smooth creation. Mm -hmm. There wouldn't be any love in it. No. 
And maybe that's okay. Maybe I, I don't think it's okay. Do you think anyone, I mean, you're talking about a courteous God and a loving God and kind of lets us go where we want to be. Do you think that people, that there's a help? Yes, I do. I don't know who's in it, but yeah. uh, but you can go there if you want and insist on it. Yes, I do believe there's a hell. So we don't get sent to hell, we go. Exactly. I mean, God has done everything possible to, to make that not happen. Mm -hmm. The question is, will we take his hand? Yeah. Did you ever notice that the devils have a clearer idea of who our Lord is mm -hmm. than our Lord's disciples sometimes do? goofy, blundering around, having their own preconceptions of what the Messiah is supposed to be like. Oh, he's going to be a political deliverer. Oh, he's going to be a wonder worker. Well, he is a deliverer and he did work wonders, but he didn't cure everybody. And he didn't call down troops of angels to save him at the end, which I think is his greatest victory. That's how I think God See, we, have a, we not only have a loving God, he's a self-sacrificing God, a self-emptying God. I mean, the universe can't hold him, and yet he's in Mary's womb. He commits no sin, but he dies the death of a sinner. Uh, Paul says, you know, he who knew... He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Paul is a genius. He didn't make that up, but he could see into Christ more than anybody. So let's do a little bit about Christ, shall we? Okay. All right. Tell me something I don't know about Christ. Well, I'm sure you do know it. I, ho I hope that anything I say you will know. Uh, it's like Socrates said, you know, all good teaching is, in a way, bringing to people's attention things they already know that they may have forgotten. Um, what does God do about this, um, this predicament of, of creatures not grateful for who they are and not loving him in return and making a mess out of things, whether it's the devil or Adam and Eve or Cain and on and on we could go. Well, rather than defeating the enemies of goodness the old-fashioned way by beating the daylights out of them, that's what, that's what we do. We have a just war and we go off and we fight Hitler or whoever. I mean, I'm not saying that wasn't a just war, but that's the way we operate. We, win the, we have to win the old-fashioned way. Now, God doesn't work that way to save the universe. God comes to us in our own form. Because in Jesus we see somebody, we see the one true fully human being. You and, you and I are not fully human because we, we deface and diminish our humanity by sin. I can prove this to you. Do you feel fulfilled when you lie or betray somebody? No, you don't. You feel smaller when you lust and you grab and you get and you... No, you don't feel fulfilled. I was just thinking the other day of David's son Amnon, who fell in love with his half-sister lustfully and desired her. And he 
got her, and the minute he got her, he despised her and wouldn't have anything to do with her again. That's, and that started the whole problem with Absalom and David. Absalom was her full brother, and he waited, bided his time so that he could kill his half-brother Amnon. And not, before long, we had civil war within the royal house. Um, do we feel fulfilled by this kind of behavior? No. I, I stand right, sit right here in front of you as a half-fulfilled, sometimes believing, sometimes loving person, but often not. Yeah. I can be irritable and crabby and, oh yeah, well, <laughs> ask the people who know me best. Anyway, um, uh, God, in coming in Christ, he's not only the eternal son of God, as, you, as you, you know, the second person of the Trinity, God taking our flesh, the word made flesh and dwelling among us, but he also shows us what authentic, true humanity is to be. He's the new Adam. He's the, he's the Adam that wasn't. He's the, he's the Adam what, what was created to be. You know, they will tell, tell us that we, we only live up to something like a small fraction of our brains and soul's potential, that it's all unused and wasted. That's because we're alienated from our maker. If we are in harmony with our maker, then we act. Look at the things that Christ did. He could, the things he could foresee. He could see into people's souls. He said, go into the city and you will find a young man with a colt. Get the colt. And when he says, what are you doing with the colt? Tell him the Lord has need of it. Palms, that's how Palm Sunday begins. Now, did Jesus set that up in advance? Probably, but how did he have such confidence that things were going to unfold that way? He is the one, that's what son of man means, the son of man. And so he's God incarnate and he's man divine. And he addresses us in terms that we can understand as human beings. And if you notice his miracles, he cleanses lepers, people who feel like outcasts. He raises the dead. Um, he makes the blind to see. He makes the deaf to hear. He makes the, the, the mute to speak. He gives people new life and purpose. And all of those miracles are miracles, but they're also symbolic of the various ways in which human life is impaired. We don't see clearly, we don't speak clearly, we, our, our sensitive faculties are marred. Many of us, even though we may have vital signs that are working, are, are living the life of the living dead. He raised, he raised Lazarus literally from the grave, but he can also raise us from other kinds of graves. This is Jesus, and that's God in our flesh. Now his greatest victory though comes with his voluntary death. He takes on sin in its political and its religious clothing. Man's religions, not just Judaism, man's religions and man's politics are the high forms that sin takes in our lives. And we need religion and we need politics, but it's deeply infected and always will be. There's not going to, we're not going to self-will our way into God's kingdom. That's why 
Jesus confronts these things. He's handed over by the religious authorities to Rome, to the political authorities, to the emperor. And he is crucified, a horrible death. Crucifixions were a dime a dozen, and he was crucified between two criminals. And that's where St. Paul says, he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that in him we might become righteous. We, we don't have to struggle um, to get into the kingdom of God, to be good. We, we, we put our trust in Christ and we live the life that he gives us by faith and we do works of gratitude and love because we're glad to be alive again in Christ. I'll buy that. Yeah, and, and, and actually all this summer we've been hearing St. Paul's great letter to the Romans, which gets kind of round and about, but it's his great most comprehensive letter. And basically he's been saying the last several weeks, there are two spiritualities. One is the spirituality of the law, the, the moral law, the ethical law, and the other is the spirituality of the gospel. Now, the, the law is good. It tells what's right and it tells what's wrong. But the problem is, is we try to keep the law and we have this infection. We are inclined by our fallen nature to sin. And law doesn't take away sin, it points it out. And you know perfectly well, and I do, sometimes the pointing out of a sin incites me to riot. Don't do that. It makes me want to do it all the more. You can see that with a child. Don't touch that. What's he going to do? Whereas the gospel relocates the effort. The effort has been done by Christ, and we receive his achievement, his death, his sacrifice on our behalf by grace through faith. God accepts that sacrifice by raising him from the dead. So his victory... The world, came, the world, in a way, came to an end at three o'clock in the afternoon on Good Friday. It is finished. He accomplished it. And then on the third day, God raises him from the dead and reveals already that Jesus' glorification is on its way. I mean, St. John calls his crucifixion his glorification. So, and he of the four evangelists is the closest to Jesus. Uh, Luke got his information, as he tells us, from other eyewitnesses. Paul was an enemy of the church at that point. Uh, Matthew is probably Levi the tax collector, but we don't know if he was there on Good Friday. We don't hear about him being there. He, he collected Jesus as saying, Mark may be the young man who ran away naked into the night. John is the close one. And John says that when Christ is lifted up on the cross, it's the beginning of his exaltation. So that's what God does in the second, uh, uh, about the evil that's in the world. But he does one more thing, and that's bring us into it, and that takes us to the Holy Spirit. Once upon a time, long, long ago, I'm just speaking for myself on this. My dad, my dear dad, took me to a movie around Eastertide, I think in a Lutheran church, and it showed the crucifixion of Jesus, and I was horrified. Oh, yeah. You know, the Lutherans can be very clear about this. Good for the Lutherans. And I remember saying, how can they do that to him? 
I cried. I was only like first or second grade. I was young, young, young. Not old enough to be confirmed yet, um, but enough to know good from bad. And I heard dad say to mom, I should never have taken Andrew to see that movie. Children shouldn't see those things. And that movie stayed deep within me. Fast forward to college, and I, by this time, I, I'm not wanting to have much to do with the church, and we had always gone to church. But to make this long story a little shorter, I'm studying for a quiz in college, and the quiz is in the New Testament. And the text we're studying is, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, he will find it. What does it profit you to gain the whole world and to lose your soul? Well, I'm studying this text, which I had heard many times in church as a kid. And it had somehow escaped my notice until that night. And all of a sudden, time stood still. And the movie that Dad had taken me to see 11, 12 years earlier, when I was a grade school kid, I'm now a junior in college. It's like the movie is rerunning. I'm in my library carol and I'm studying the, the, the Oxford Annotated Bible with the commentaries for this quiz. And it's like the movie is running again, except this time, even though it's just as terrible, it's good. And I realized what Jesus is saying, that he's the proof of his own saying. He, he who would save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake, he'll find it. He's the proof himself of it. And it was as though not only was he present and accounted for and living, but he was addressing me. And I've never been the same since. If you had told me then that I would be wearing black clericals and up in pulpits and celebrating the Eucharist out of run in the other direction. So God only shows you a little bit at a time. But it wasn't long before that New Testament professor who turned out to be an Episcopal priest and the local rector sat me down. I started to go to church for the first time in my life on my own steam. And I went to the Episcopal church. And some time went by and I remember them summoning me to meet. And they said, Andy, we think that you should be ordained and go to seminary. But what they didn't know is that as a kid, I had heard my mother say to my Sunday school teacher, oh, I always thought Andrew was going to be a minister. And I can remember thinking, oh, no. And it was when these guys talked to me, it's like that bell rang again. Because shortly before they had met with me, after realizing what the gospel was, I remember thinking, this is the best news there is. And I am going to do everything I can to spread and share it. So that's, I think we're now getting to the Holy Spirit. I think that that's how God draws the rest of us in. I don't think there's anything particularly strange or unusual at all about what happened to me. I think this kind of thing happens to everybody in different ways. I talk for a living, so I'm better at talking about these things. But I know that out there in the congregation in St. Peter's or St. Stephen's, where I've been for the last year, or St. Thomas, where I served all those years or wherever, 
The people are there because each one of us has been touched by the Spirit of God to be drawn to the good news of Christ. And we're part of the reclamation that God is, is doing. I mean, the rector at St. Peter's, Father Craig, is always saying we are part of the, the rebuilding of the, of, the, of the world. This is the body of Christ, and that is exactly right. And we are being drawn into that, that mystery by God persuading, winning, cajoling, painting us into corners, all the things that happen to us. That's God the Holy Spirit, who's always out ahead of you or behind you or over you or under you. You never know. Oh, very good sense of humor. I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you, here's, I'll finish with this. Here's the Holy Spirit's sense of humor. So he takes this strict and particular Pharisee who is perfect according to the law. His name is Saul of Tarsus. And he takes a persecutor of the church and he helped kill St. Stephen. He was holding their cloaks when they were throwing, it, throwing the stones. That's Saul of Tarsus. He was an intellect, people don't identify with him. He was an intellectual, a rabbinical student. He, he was wealthy, he was well-born, he was a Roman citizen. That doesn't come a born Roman citizen. He didn't buy it, he was born into it. He was up here. And that man was knocked down and Jesus turned him into the apostle of the grace of God. And more than that, not just to the Jews, but even more so to those unwashed, filthy pagans. That's the divine sense of humor. And Paul is the one who, his Roman name is Paul, his Jewish name is Saul, named after the king of the tribe of Benjamin. And he, he becomes the one who makes the argument in the church against legalistic living. He says, Christ has won the battle and love is the answer. Walk by the Spirit and don't grit your teeth and grind your nails and, and try to win in the flesh by your own self-will. You can't do it. It's not possible. That's the divine sense of humor. And Paul gets a bad rap. He shouldn't. It's the biggest joke of it's God's big joke. I couldn't believe it when I first realized what Paul had been and become. He is the, he's called the apostle of the heart set free. There, I finish. Bang. You have been listening to Mead's Meanderings, an original production of Father Andrew Mead, St. Peter's by the Sea Episcopal Church in Narragansett, Rhode Island, and Oyster Farm Productions. If you never want to miss an episode, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you think someone you know would enjoy this podcast, please share it with them. Also, we welcome your questions and comments. If we can do something better, let us know. Until next time, thank you for your attention, and be well. My name is Ron Cowie, and I've had the pleasure to be your host today.